Welcome to the Banking with Lot podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. This is a Q&A series where I answer your questions concerning the infinite banking concept. I want you to know that I consider your questions a gift. It's an opportunity for me to answer questions and just to spread knowledge and um, encourage thinking, right? So thank you very much for asking the questions. And we're just going to have fun today. In our house, we open presents on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. So you should be seeing this Christmas Eve. And I am going to open the first gift of the evening from you. Thank you very much. Like a kid, you know, carrying up all the wrapping all over the living room floor. Right. Have the big brother pick it up or the wife. Right. Okay. It really is questions. Who's shocked? Who's surprised? I'm surprised. In the equipment financing section of Becoming Your Own Banker, most of the illustrations have surrender of paid up insurance or utilized dividend credits. Can you explain what these are? How would they work and when would you want to use them? Um, a dividend credit and then a surrender of paid up additions. That's all Nelson is. And he tells you exactly what he did in equipment financing. That's and you read it. Good job, sir. Most people read right over those small details. Um, but he also says he wouldn't tell anyone to do that. That's not how he would tell people to finance things today. But in equipment financing, that's what he was doing. He was surrendering dividends to pay the interest, and he was surrendering P-Way cash values. So would you do that now? No, you wouldn't. You could, but you shouldn't. Right? What should you do today? You should pay a premium. Pay a premium, pay a premium, and then when you finance, have a cash flow that repays that loan. The dividend should be applied to the paid-up additions rider. If you have to, in the future, surrender PUA, paid-up additions cash values, to offset a premium or to do whatever, you can do that. The banker can do whatever he wants. However, you cannot repay a surrendered paid-up additions. Okay, if I surrender cash value from a PUA, I cannot replace that. I may continue to pay PUA premiums, but I can't replace the surrendered PUA cash values. Okay, what if I borrowed against the cash value to pay a premium? And I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm saying that if a loan was made for whatever reason, I can repay a loan at any time. I have control over the loan repayment. I cannot replace a surrendered PUA. So that's how they work. And why would you want to use them? You'd only want to use them if you were forced to, if you had no other options other than to surrender the dividends. But even then, the dividends should be paid into the paid up additions, and then you surrender the paid up additions cash values. Okay, hope that helps. Carol <clears throat> asked, looking at an illustration, what do guaranteed and non-guaranteed columns mean? Well, the guaranteed column means that if you pay the premium, which is not guaranteed, the insurance company cannot guarantee that you pay a premium, right? 
but there is a contractual obligation to pay a premium whether you write a check for it or not. So if the premium is paid, then they guarantee the end of year death benefit and cash values. The non-guaranteed column includes the dividend. The dividends are never guaranteed, ever. They're just not guaranteed. So that's the difference. The guaranteed column does not have dividends. The non-guaranteed column includes dividends, okay? Now, once a dividend is paid, it can't be taken back. <laughs> All right, Travis asked this question. If I borrowed from my policy, nope, you borrow from the life insurance company. I've said it. We've all made mistakes in our language, and it's okay. I'm just pointing that out. We're borrowing from the life insurance company. We're borrowing the life insurance company's money, the money in the cash value, the policy, the cash value in the policy never leaves unless you withdraw it, okay? Um Okay, if I borrow from the life insurance company, I pay the insurance company 5% simple interest. Simple is capitalized. Meanwhile, that money is making 4% compounding. Compounding is capitalized interest. I still end up making money on the 1% difference because I am making compounding versus borrowing simple. Can you do an illustration on this on one of your videos? You know, the short answer is, Yes, I could make an illustration or a presentation speaking to that exactly. It would probably be client-only access because I don't want to add to the ambiguity that exists out there with this idea. Um, so I, if I did a video, um, it would be probably for client-only access. The number one, who says you're making 4%? If I pay a $100,000 premium in year one, even if I had a god-awful 90-10 structure, and you long-time listeners know exactly what I'm talking about, if I paid a $100,000 premium and 90% went to the PUA, oh, and I get a 5% guaranteed dividend or 6%, but at the end of the year, I only have access to $90,000. That's a 10% net loss in that calendar year. So, this is an oversimplification of how loans and policies work. There's a long-term internal rate of return on a life insurance policy, and then there's a loan interest if you borrow the life insurance company's money, collateralizing your policy. Can you, over the long term, come out ahead? <laughs> yes, yes you can. But this serves an oversimplification um, of that example. Not to beat you up, I'm just saying if I do one, if I do a long form presentation on this or video, um, it would probably be client-only access. And I have a long list of client-only content that I'm working on and getting to, and this wouldn't go to the front of the line. Just saying. All right, thanks for asking though, Travis. Thanks for listening too, greatly appreciate you. Joyce. She asked, this is my first time to reach an anniversary, and I've heard many times that it is a good idea to pay up the interest so that it does not get added to the outstanding loan amount next year. How will I know how much interest I have so I can pay it? Great question, Joyce. You should know, everyone, we should all know the interest rate that our companies charge, okay? And then you can always call the company and ask for an interest charge or an interest paid, Report. You can call the life insurance company and they'll tell you how much interest was paid or how much interest is owed in that year. If you take a loan, 
let's say, for example, you're paying uh, an annual premium payment. On the first anniversary, you're going to get a premium due notice. And if you have an outstanding loan, you're going to get an interest due notice as well. If you're paying monthly premiums and uh, maybe even monthly loan repayments, you're still going to get an outstanding um, whatever the outstanding interest is on the anniversary, you're going to get a bill for that from the insurance company. So it should be pretty clear how much interest that you owe, but you should know how much interest you're being charged by the life insurance company. And of course, you can always request from the life insurance company or your practitioner if they'll answer the phone when you call them. Please help me understand how to get extra policies either on myself, again, or others if I'm expecting increased income in the future. We should all have the expectation of doing better. We should all be trending in that direction. Um, and if that includes increased cash flows in the future, there must be an insurable interest. So you can go through underwriting on yourself, right? We're all limited on how much death benefit we can have, but and how much premium that we can pay. Even the life insurance companies have suitability rules, right? They didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, well, you know, you, you can only have, you know, uh, you can't have $25 million in death benefit if you make $100,000 in income. So I'm just saying there are limitations of how much total enforced life insurance from all sources we can have. So there's that limit. And then we're also limited on how much premium we can pay. We're limited by the life insurance industry. Right, National Association of Insurance Commissioners, they've settled this uh, years ago. So, um, and then prudently, we not only pay so much life insurance premium, but that, let me help you understand <clears throat> if I can. If you have the ability to pay more premium and it makes sense to you and you're working with a competent professional and you understand all the ramifications of your policy, right, by all means, and if you need a death benefit, by all means, go through underwriting. If you're fully insured, which few people are fully insured or properly insured, where you can't get any more life insurance because the matrix, your age and your income will not allow more life insurance to be issued, then you're forced to purchase insurance on other people. There must be an insurable interest that exists between you and the insured. And I think uh, I've done podcasts on that exactly, insurable interest. So... Um, I hope that answers your question, Joyce. Thank you very much. Okay, this question. I have military insurance. Does that play a role in determining how much premium I could pay? Suppose I drop it. Would that allow me to increase my premium? Let me. There's a couple of comments that I want to make here. If you have military insurance, don't drop it. My opinion, my general opinion, specifically, you know, you should determine that with a competent professional, right? Um, and you should never drop coverage prior to getting new coverage. You should never drop coverage until you have coverage in force. And generally, you should not drop coverage. That's my opinion, all right? Um, but also when it comes to military, this kind of ties into the previous question. You know, we're all limited on how much total death benefit we can have in force. Um, group term, military insurance, does not limit me on how much death benefit I can have from a life insurance company. So let's say I have $400,000 in military 
coverage, and I'm asking for $1.5 million in death benefit, the company's not going to uh, lessen what I can have as far as total amount in force or how much I can have issued because I have the 400000 of military coverage. So in the earlier question, I said we're all limited um, how much insurance or death benefit we can have from all sources, right? It's not including that military. And it's also not including group term at work, okay? All right, so don't drop your coverage. That premium most of the time is uh, reasonable depending on your age. I mean, there's a whole structure of that premium. Say a company limits your total premium allowed by 20% of your income, that premium to the military coverage would not reduce that threshold from the life insurance company. All right, I hope that answers your question. What does initial face amount mean? Initial face amount means that that's what the face amount is initially. All right, on a participating policy, and there are several different structures. I mean, the blended PUA, um, but if I'm just buying you know, a whole life policy and it says initial face amount and it's participating, it pays dividends. So participating just means that the policy owner participates in the financial experience of the life insurance company. Okay. So if that policy pays a dividend and that dividend is paid to the PUA, that dividend purchases paid up additions, paid up additional death benefit. So if that's the case, that you have a participating policy and the dividend is paid to the PUA, that dividend purchases additional death benefits. So the face amount continues to grow. Thanks, Mark. I like the easy ones that I can answer clearly. You know, sometimes there's not just straightforward answers, yes, no, um, but I'm making an effort, okay? And this question, is it possible with my policy to have the premium end at the end of the seventh year, although allowing me to continue to pay into it at my leisure without commitment? Is it possible to eliminate the minimum premiums and keep paying premiums? Kind of two questions. Um, so all whole life insurance, not universal life, not indexed universal life, variable universal life, or just plain vanilla universal life, whole life insurance has the ability to elect what's called a reduced paid up. That's a non-forfeiture option. So typically there has to be enough cash value or there has to be enough cash value for this to occur anyway, but reduced paid up can't occur until the end of the seventh year. So the short answer should be yes. If there's enough cash value, you can elect that. However, that wouldn't, you know, RPU, reduced paid up is permanent. You can't undo that. So your question is, at the end of the seventh year, can your premium be reduced, allowing you to continue paying premiums at your leisure um, without a commitment? So if there's enough cash value in your policy, you can surrender cash value to pay a premium. Premium offset paid from policy values, um, and that is not permanent. <clears throat> but then you run up against the uh, requirements of a life insurance company. There are minimum requirements to all of your riders. So if you don't pay the minimum rider premium, <clears throat> typically those riders fall off and either you can't put them back on or you have to go through underwriting to put them back on. So this is another not a clear cut yes or no question. It's possible. It depends on your policy, the structure, and the uh, uh, cash values and then how that would work. You know, 
So could I, in the end of the seventh year, reduce my premium all down to the minimums? Yes. And then have the policy value surrendered to pay those? Yes. Some companies may require me to send in an additional check in addition you know, to those surrenders to pay a particular rider. Other companies, as soon as I lower a PUA premium, you know, I have a limited amount of time before I can even continue paying that PUA premium, a limited amount of flexibility. If I don't pay that minimum required you know, PUA premium in most companies, it's going to go away or be greatly reduced. And some are worse than others. And this is one area that you, if you're an agent or advisor, you need to be keenly aware of what the companies that you represent allow. Okay. All right. Thanks for asking that question. Okay, in this question, how many loans can I have out at one time on a policy? Can I have more than one loan out at a time? And can I take out more than one loan within a year? Okay, from the life insurance company's standpoint, if I borrow $10,000 today, I have an outstanding loan of 10000 you know, plus interest, right? If I go forward six months and I didn't make any loan repayments and I borrow another 10000 that, you know, assumes that I have at least that $20,000 in loan value, then the life insurance company does not account for you on your loans. This just increases the outstanding loan balance. They don't look at it as one loan or two loans or three loans as far as the balance goes. It just increases or decreases with loan repayments. It would decrease the outstanding loan balance. Now, some companies also have a limit on how many loans you can make in a given year or a given month. So most companies really don't like more than one loan typically in a month. You know, we are talking about becoming your own banker, no question, but they are not a brick and mortar bank. They don't have a drive-through window. They don't have loan tellers, right? They, they don't, they're, they're not a bank um, in the brick and mortar sense of a bank, you know, that prints money out of thin air. They can't do that. Exercising your contractual right, borrowing against your cash value is a right that you have. And it's on a service form. Right? It's, not a, it's not a loan application. It is a section on a service form. I want this amount in, in either send me a check or ACH deposit in my bank. So, yes, can you take out more than one loan in a policy year? Yes. You know, with most companies, generally, it's, they don't want to see more than one loan in a month. So I could take out 12 policy loans. But look, if this idea of putting money in and money out and money in and money out, premium in, loan out, loan repayment, loan out, loan repayment. You know, I know there's a lot of fantastic presentations out there in the big wide world, but you're not making, all you're doing is making yourself work harder and you're making the service department of the life insurance company work harder. And this is exactly the idea that you putting money in, paying a premium, requesting a loan, repaying the loan, requesting a loan, repaying a loan, requesting a loan. The idea that you're making that policy more efficient is exactly why these life insurance companies don't like the infinite banking concept. And it's exactly why I'm particularly harsh on these, you know, overzealous marketers. In this question, are dividends only paid on the base premiums or all premiums paid in the year? Typically, dividends are paid on the PUA and the base. There are policies out there that don't pay dividends on, you know, a base policy, or they only pay dividends on a PUA. Generally, yes, dividends are paid on a base premium and a PUA premium. Uh, but if you get a blended PUA premium, those dividends can be, 
used harshly to pay that increasing term component to a blended PUA. And I'm just making a point here. I'm not saying that blended PUAs are bad, but you must be aware. The owner should be aware of their policy construct and the mechanics of their policy without necessarily becoming a life insurance expert. I know, you you know, who wants to wake up and, you know, even talk to a life insurance agent, much less become a life insurance expert. I get it. Um, but you, the policy owner, should be aware of what you own and what is required of you and the mechanics of it, at least at a fundamental level. And this is all very fundamental that we're discussing here. In this question, does it matter how quickly I pay the additional premium to the PUA? This is in addition to the base premium. Uh, typically, yes. Some companies either require the PUA premium on an anniversary date. Others allow you to pay an unscheduled PUA premium. And then those companies account for that differently. You know, some give you a pro rata dividend. So if I pay a PUA, unscheduled PUA premium in June, then I'm only going to receive, you know, half the dividend on that PUA premium comparatively, right? Because the premium wasn't there. Um, other companies, you know, say you have to pay in the first 11 months or, you know, you don't receive a dividend on the PUA premium. And then there's always the uh, time value of money. Your life insurance policies, when you look at the illustrations, it assumes end of year values. And it assumes if it's an annual premium that all of that premium was paid in the beginning of the year. Well, what does that mean, James? That means this, that if I have the uh, right to pay $10,000 in total premium base PUA and all the riders, but then I have the contractual right to pay an additional $2,000 to the PUA, that illustration is, is assuming that that additional $2,000 in the PUA is paid at the beginning of the period. All right, I hope that helps. <laughs> Okay, next question. Oh, okay, perfect. <clears throat> I love this. I love the people I work with. Greatest team on the face of the earth, especially in North America. Um, is Santa able to get a policy? Uh, number one, my question would be, does Santa even have a life expectancy? Okay, but he looks pretty robust to me. He's all American. If he was insurable, he'd be highly rated because he's robust, as I say. And listen, I'm fat for a reason. I love food. Okay, so I get it. Um, and then I'm sure the uh, elves and his little people are not insurable either. And then I look at Mrs. Claus. She's pretty robust as well. So the short answer is, I don't know. If he lost some weight and has a life expectancy, he may be able to get a policy. Okay. All right. Listen, I had fun. Thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.